Look at my butt. Show number 254 of Look at His Butt. LT and JK talk Trek. We are on the air. Yay. Yeah. Listeners, we're back. We were on vacation and now we're back from oh, vacation. And we had an amazing vacation. It was fabulous. We, we relaxed and we were on a boat and we saw so many things and we ate so much good food. Yes. Oh, my God. It was fantastic. But we have to go back because I already remembered two foods we didn't manage to eat. So. <laughs> Please go ahead. Um, well, we didn't get any Tim Hortons. We and, tried. I uh, we, mean, we were uh, yeah. in Tim Hortons. And, we just didn't eat uh, there. What was the other food I was thinking we didn't eat? It'll come I, to me. Oh. Anyway, but it was we an did. amazing vacation. Yes, we were in Canada, and we did have poutine, which yes. was wonderful. It really, was, really wonderful. It was good, and we drank a local beer, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't think what the other food was. But anyway, oh, we didn't <laughs> eat Chinese food. Oh, that's true. We didn't. Um... And, you know, when I was growing up outside of Detroit, first of all, there was almost no Chinese food anywhere <laughs> way back then. But the whole thing was to get good Chinese food, you had to go to Canada. Mm-hmm. So we got to do that. Next time. Next time. Next but time one we'll thing we did try to do, <laughs> we tried very hard. We walked yes. and walked and walked up a hill. We went to McGill University. Yes, we were in Montreal. Yes, and we were um, staying in a hotel that was not too far away. It was a it was a walk though. You're right. Yeah, it was and a bunch of blocks. We found what we believe is the Shatner <laughs> Building. Yes, but we went on a Sunday. That was our first day in town, and you know it was uh, what July, I guess. Mm, and so yeah. you know there wasn't much happening. around the university and most of the buildings were locked well the Shatner building we don't know if it was locked because they're doing renovations so it had all the the wooden fence you know around it to keep us out of the construction site Mm -hmm. and uh so we couldn't get in at all and it doesn't even have Bill's name on it no it's from what we could see yeah so um, I, I had looked quickly on Google before we went and seen that there was an official announcement saying that they were going to be doing some construction or renovation, mm-hmm. I suppose, over the summer. So we were un- unsure if it was going to be open. And um, I put pictures on Twitter, but I'll put them on the Facebook as well, that we took of the outside. And there were, it was a big chain link fence, like you couldn't really get yeah. close to it. Yeah. And we walked around and we tried some doors and everything. And I took a picture of the sign on the outside of the building, which is the university center the student union mm-hmm. and that's what it says but it doesn't say shatner on it now according to the interwebs there's a sign inside that says the william shatner center but we couldn't get inside so we didn't hmm. see that and and i was disappointed that it wasn't yes. on the outside of the building um so yeah if you if you google shatner building it comes up mm-hmm. but that's not the name that's on the outside of the building well but, then Go ahead. We were there. At least we we were there. And then we had the genius idea of, well, let's go to the university bookstore. And Mm -hmm. maybe we'll find something there. Maybe we'll get a McGill pennant. They Mm -hmm. were closed on Sunday, too. 
And we were so busy the whole time doing things and seeing things. We never made it back there. But another reason to go again. Yeah. And who knows, maybe they'll be done with the renovations Mm -hmm. sometime this year. So the next time around, we can actually go in. And maybe part of the renovation will be putting his name on the outside of the building, which would be really good. maybe Bill will be there for the grand reopening. Yes. So if you ever go there, I'll tell you. You walk up to where McGill is, and you'll know it when you get to the campus because it's beautiful. And um, the actual building is located on McTavish Street Arr. in the middle of, yeah, very French Montreal is <laughs> McTavish Street. So that was a little weird. Yeah, Rue McTavish. Uh, and there's a, um, a beautiful walkway, uh, a pedestrian walkway that goes up a hill. So you walk up the pedestrian walkway and you keep going. And on your left, there'll be a bunch of faculty buildings that are sort of Victorian looking. And then it's quite a large uh, sort of concrete building that's there. And it's at 3480 McTavish Street Mm -hmm. in Montreal. Yes. The University Center. Yes. And if we have listeners who are there or nearby, Mm -hmm. you know, if you when it reopens, manage to go in, you know, let us know. Where does it say Bill's name? Where's his picture? Where's the statue? Yeah, where <laughs> is the statue? Because there should be one. He should be pointing at students. It's, like at students. Like, you should be you studying. Should, no, it's a Bill. It's a statue of Bill. You should not go to class. <laughs> Admire the statue. Yes, yes. Uh, it's in a spot. very lovely section um, where McGill is. Mm-hmm. And um, I also wanted to mention that just around it, Right by the university, there's so much public art. Oh, my my God. God. It's all over the place. We were constantly snapping pictures of these amazing art installations that Mm -hmm. are public. You know, they're not They're on the sidewalk. Yeah. You you can just walk around and Mm -hmm. touch stuff and take pictures and sit on things. It was incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, living in Chicago where there is a lot of that, especially in my neighborhood, but, you know, there is also an emphasis on let's have more, let's have more. Mm. Um. I, I, I was fascinated by the whole thing, and I was thinking, I would really love to go on a tour that just took me around Ooh. to all of those, or a whole bunch of them, you know. It would be. As someone who lived first in New Jersey and then, you know, near San Francisco for my entire life, I was astonished by the fact that in Canada, in many of the public parks, there are really nice chairs that you can sit on and tables. Oh. And it's not chained down or anything. I know. I was stunned by that when I went to Paris. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's just just these chairs. Put them where you want. And I was going, they would be gone the next day here in the U.S. They would. They totally would. Or they would have, like, you know, stuff carved in them or people would be taking them apart to build, you know, bonfires out of them or whatever. It's just, it was very weird. But, you know, there were so many parks and they were all beautiful. Yes. And the oh, trees were gigantic and so mm-hmm. lush, you know, the leaves. Oh, it was wonderful. So we can highly recommend Canada to everybody. Mm-hmm. If you haven't been there, Quebec, we go to Quebec and go to Montreal. It's amazing. Yes. Okay, while we were on vacation, and it truly was a vacation, we did things we've never done. We saw things we've never seen, but we did, you know, do a little bit of trekkishness. Mm-hmm. In, in addition to going to McGill, we watched the Star mm-hmm. Trek episode of Toys That Made Us. Yes. And we loved it. <laughs> it it was, was so good. It was it was very funny, but it also covered a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the history of how this 
you know, licensing came to be and how it was passed around from company to company and people not knowing what to do with it and Paramount being so slow to catch on mm -hmm. that, ooh, money can be made here, you know. <laughs> it, it, it was really fascinating. Plus, they showed an amazing amount of toys and that oh. horrible helmet with the, oh, the helmet, siren yes. thing on top, the light. Oh, my God. <laughs> Everybody was laughing about that. Mm -hmm. The show was really well done, and it was done with love and enthusiasm and I was so relieved that it wasn't poking fun at people who collect toys no which, you know you could mm -hmm. see that they could have gone that route but no they were treating it just like any other hobby where you collect cool stuff that you want which was fantastic mm -hmm. they interviewed a lot of experts uh, the Tenudos were there Marie Jose and John they were talking about mm -hmm. um, you know how it fit into the sociology and culture of Star Trek, the, the different types of toys. I, I found my notes in... Uh, oh, oh I, I didn't yeah. know you were taking notes. Okay. I was taking notes. You're sitting on that little couch. Um, yes. The, the, the thing that got me right from the beginning was as they were introducing the topic of Star Trek, they said, you know, what was the thing that made Star Trek? It was a success. And it was the great adventures and the scripts and the raw animal magnetism of Captain Kirk, which we were like, yes, yes. that is the reason it was so successful. Yes. So it, it was great that they mentioned that right at the mm -hmm. top of the show got that out of the way we could see what side they were on and that made us both really happy yes <laughs> i remember that um uh, they said uh, so um the uh original toys that they made mm -hmm. the models of the enterprise and the other ships yes. were done by a company called amt and the deal i never heard this i don't know if you had heard this before that um, the deal was done that AMT would design and build the actual shuttle prop for the I, show. I had never heard that either. And that's how they got the rights to make the toys was that that was the exchange. That's mm -hmm. incredible. Like that they, they traded for, I just I can't quite wrap my mind around I it. Know. Oh, we'll, we'll let you build an actual prop for the show. And in return, we're going to give away all the rights to sell these toys, which of course were hugely successful. Of course. And, uh, they made loads of money. Yes. And then the other thing was that the people who did the Mego dolls, which mm -hmm. were of course the best dolls, they bought the rights to the Star Trek, the entire Star Trek property for $5,000. Oh. And they made at least $50 million selling all of the different toys. And yep. that was just astonishing to me. $5,000 for the rights to all of Star Trek. Well, Crazy. I really like to, and I don't remember who said it, but they were pointing out that on the Mego toys, the, the sculpting of the faces mm. was really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. You know, and how later some of the other people who took over the, the licensing and everything. It was like, oh, my God. <laughs> These are terrible, and you should feel bad. Yes. <laughs> so we posted on Facebook recently that the, the people, so Migo's gone out of business. They went out of business a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And the rights to those dolls and, and perhaps the original molds for them have since been bought by a couple different companies. I think they're all being made by Diamond Select right now. Oh, but okay. they've been releasing new dolls. So most recently, um, they put out... Uh, Chekhov doll mm -hmm. and a Sulu doll and then they did Mirror Universe Kirk and Spock dolls with the proper costumes and if you look at them you can see there's the, for the Kirk and Spock dolls it's still the original Mego faces so they haven't changed that at all but it's cool that they revived something that is such a classic oh for yes yeah it's very cool that they're doing that yes 
So that was a thoroughly enjoyable hour, and mm-hmm. it is available on Netflix mm-hmm. if uh, if you have access to that and want to go watch it. It's a lot of fun. And the thing is, the focus really is on the toys. They don't have um, any of the Star Trek cast Mm-mm. commenting on it or anything. This is all about uh, the history of these toys and the, the people who made them and their popularity, and it... Yeah, that's that's what it is. It it was very tightly focused and interesting and fun. And we laughed a lot. It was great. We absolutely did. Yeah. Hey, speaking of dolls. Yes. I would like to mention something which I believe I might have posted to the Facebook page, but I want to talk about it again anyway. Okay. Which is that there's this woman named Monica, and she makes these customized dolls and someone had posted this to one of the TOS Facebook groups that I, mm-hmm. I look in on occasionally. And she does it not just for Star Trek, but she does it for many other different fandoms as well. Right. She does Star Wars and Firefly and Game of Thrones and stuff. And some she does just because she wants to do them and others are by commission. And if you go to her webpage, which I'll link to, to the Star Trek area, she has examples of the, the ones that she's done. They are astonishing. Oh, my God. Yes. They're just so amazing. Um, the attention to detail, the faces, and the the way she's done what I guess is makeup on the dolls to, mm-hmm. you know, get them to, to have those same features mm-hmm. is just, just incredible. They are so beautiful. But um, I couldn't find any information about what is she using for the dolls? I mean, some of them do look like Barbie dolls, but others, yeah. I'm going, where did that doll come from, you know? Oh, gosh, you know, I let me look on here just a second. So I, I will tell you that I had written to her to ask how much a commission costs, which I'll reveal to you in a Ooh, moment, how okay. much it does cost in case anybody wants to get one. Mm-hmm. It ain't. It's not cheap. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Okay. Um, she does use... I think in some cases they're they're Barbie dolls, but in other cases I, I think they're different. And gosh, I can't find the information right now. But she does face sculpting on them as well. So she's not just choosing dolls that oh. look like the actors. She's actually working with the faces and plastic and sculpting them to make them look more like the actors. Mm-hmm. And then all of the costumes and all of the accessories are all custom made by her. So she sews the uniform. She does the hair. She does jewelry, especially for the female ones mm-hmm. um, you know like i'm looking at the xena one right now and she's done uh, a sword and all of the other accessories that come with it it's incredible what the amount of detail that goes into each one of these dolls yes so if you would like to get one done it costs 550 dollars mm-hmm. which is a lot of money but uh, i don't think that's bad at all i don't think it's bad at all Give i thought you were gonna you know save five thousand dollars no no it's 550 dollars. you know there's it takes her quite a bit of time but given the amount of attention that she puts into these Mm -hmm. if you were a person who collected dolls and you wanted something that was so highly customized that would probably be a steal and she had she indicated in her email to me that she's very very busy so a lot of people want these which is great you know this is obviously her deal and she's super super good at it and I hope that she's making a a good living out of doing these dolls and that people are appreciating all the work that goes into them they're fantastic Uh, it it is amazing I mean 
making all this this stuff, I'm going to say, but like finding fabric that mm-hmm. looks like those things in itself would be a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's got like on her page, if you look, she's got Lieutenant Uhura in her red outfit, but she's also made a Lieutenant Uhura from uh, season one and she's in the gold command outfit with the slightly different hair that she had then. Mm-hmm. And the detail is incredible. Like, you look at the two dolls and you're like, yep, they both look exactly like Nichelle, but they are very different and they're clearly from where she Mm -hmm. says it's from. It's crazy. There's even a a McCoy doll I'm looking at here Mm -hmm. from um, For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. It really looks like him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you. I'm looking at the Nona doll Mm -hmm. and it appears in the full length shot that her boots or whatever are high heels did nona wear high heels so this is a question that many people have asked oh well okay in in some shots yes she's wearing boots that have heels and in other shots where she's running she's not so you know they did that with kirk as well um where he had to do a lot Mm -hmm. of physical stuff where he'd have the the normal right uh, set boots but otherwise he had sort of like flat Mm -hmm. wrestler boots on so yeah, it's. I guess she decided to be more, uh, you know, character accurate to put the mm-hmm. heels in. It, it's a great doll. It, it's it really is. cool. I love her her orange furry vest. <laughs> well, you know, one of the dolls that I think is just so amazing to me is Amanda, and a mm. lot of it is because of the expression on her face. Yeah, yeah. She really managed to capture the the actual character expression, mm-hmm. not just the features of. Um, the the actor, but mm-hmm. the way they looked in the episode. Um, I also want to talk about the doll for Carolyn Palamas on Who uh-huh. Mourns for Adonis. Uh-huh. She's showing quite a bit more side boob than the actress did. <laughs> well, maybe that was a special request. Right. Maybe so. <laughs> maybe so. I don't know. The T'Pring doll really looks like Oh, her. Yeah. The, the stance and everything, it's, she's uh-huh. just, just amazing. This, this woman, Monica Kay, is truly an artist, I think. Yeah. So everybody should go at least look at those dolls and promote them and, and mm-hmm. send people her way. Give her lots of business so that she can continue making these amazing dolls. Yes, and, uh, you know, start saving your, your, your pennies and your <laughs> whatever you've got. The other one I wanted to talk about because... This to me is such a perfect resemblance. Is in the Muds Women doll dolls, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the one in green. Yes. That I mean, that could be that actress. Yeah, it it looks like it was done from a mold of her face. Yes. It's incredible. It's just incredible. Yeah, these are amazing. And as as Lena said, go give them your attention. You know, just spend even you know ten minutes just. Scrolling through the photos and you start looking at the detail, you'll be amazed. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's great. Always something new in the mm-hmm. Trek fandom, you know? I love it. I mm-hmm. just love it. Also, uh, we kind of covered this, but she does a lot of other things, not just uh, Star Trek, but she's got Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. Firefly and Star Wars and TV yeah. and movies, heroes and villains. So, you know, you might find the thing you've always wanted. Yes. As you said, an artist. Yes, indeed. Good art from an artist. All right. 
Now, we have a whole bunch of news things. Maybe we could just whip through the news really quick. Okay, that sounds good. To talk about. So we're recording this just after uh, the Star Trek Las Vegas convention, which was mm-hmm. a huge deal and lots of stuff happened. And the big announcement is that, um, as we had spoken about in a previous episode, they're developing several new Star Trek TV shows for CBS All Access. And they talked about one of them, which is going to star... Your not favorite captain, no, I'm sorry, um, which is going let, to, let's say the other captain, okay. which is uh, Jean-Luc Picard. So Patrick Stewart was there and he talked about how there's going to be a series and it's the next chapter of Picard's life, whatever that means. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe he's going to be a secret agent or something. I like, I want it to be called The Next Generation Part Two, because that's so <laughs> full of redundancy. I think the, the the show with Picard here, I just came up with this, should okay. be um, sort of a domestic comedy like Golden Girls, but with Picard and Q as like this bickering married couple and the, the misadventures that they have as they cruise around the galaxy. Like the odd couple? Like the odd couple, yes. <laughs> Starring Picard and Q. And you know that they really love each other and they're mm-hmm. in this committed relationship, but, you know, that's where the comedy comes mm-hmm. from. Well, you know, this announcement got me thinking. And I realized, you know, um, I didn't start watching TNG till third or fourth season. And, uh, but I've seen them all now. And what I, what I watched them for, unlike TOS, was the stories. Mm-hmm. And the characters I was mostly interested in were the guest stars. Mm-hmm. And there is not, I, I mean, I am not uh, slamming Patrick Stewart or any of them, but there's not a regular character that I was drawn to or fascinated by or wanted to see more of. Mm-hmm. And so I personally uh, cannot get too excited about this. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll probably watch, you know, at least the premiere to see what they're doing and we'll see how it goes from there. But, uh, well, I mean, obviously, a lot of people were screaming and, oh, and yeah. so excited. And I guess it, it brought uh, Stuart to tears. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm sure it was an amazing moment. And he is loved. And, you know, he is. and he's, you know, always said he was, he's so proud of having done that and, and, you know, telling his stories and everything. So I say good for him and we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah. A lot of, I saw a lot of reaction on Twitter um, and in mm-hmm. other places of people sharing stories about how meaningful TNG was to them and how Mm -hmm. Picard was a character that they really not identified with, but they saw him in TNG and for them, it was really important that there was this character who tried to find solutions, that he was a good negotiator, Mm -hmm. you know, that he really cared that he stood up for what was right and did it in his own way. And, and I, yeah, I totally get that. I think, you know, for me and you, Star Trek was not a formative part of our lives. We were adults when it was on. Right. So, well, close to. <laughs> as much as we're ever adults, which yeah. you know, this is a questionable point, but it was not the kind of thing where it, it was a thing you hadn't seen before. It was a thing mm-hmm. we'd seen a lot of before. It was just a different take on it. Right. And even now, oh gosh, what did we watch the other night? Um, there was an episode on the other night that I watched and I, there are things that I really like about TNG and mm-hmm. there are other things. Oh, it was the, the first one with um, Sila, the Romulan that's Tasha Yar. Oh yeah. 
which was it was fun there were some good things in it but oh my god the talking you know this i have to lay on this the script writers at some point that they really could have cut down the amount of dialogue that Mm -hmm. goes on and said things much more efficiently and much more powerfully i feel like Sometimes there were just minutes to fill and they said, let's give Picard another paragraph or so where he talks, <laughs> where he explains the situation again. It's really like the exposition police all over again. Yeah. Like, get on yeah. with it. You know, the, it doesn't make it a bad story, but it just, you're going, come on, get to whatever is next. It doesn't have to be that there's action. Just get on with it. Mm-hmm. And it makes me very impatient. Also, in all the scenes where Picard is the center and he's like having these long discussions, Riker is just standing there basically being taller than him. <laughs> and all I can think about is Frake saying how that was one of his main talents as an actor was being <laughs> was tall. Being tall. <laughs> so funny. Oh, dear. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, so great. So we'll have to see when that happens. There's no announcement or like when they're expecting it to mm-hmm. start or anything like that. We're just going to have to wait to get more information. Yes. Now, speaking of other things that have been uh, talked about was the revelation that, yes, Spock is going to be in Discovery. Woo. Aren't we all excited? about Aww. that? Um, and it's not clear whether it's going to be a very young Spock or a contemporary Spock. The, the information so far is that young Spock, like as a child, will definitely be in it, but they haven't said whether older Spock is going to be in there. So they keep saying he'll be, you know, not the Spock that you're used to, because obviously if it is him as an adult, he's like he was when we saw him in the cage and not like Mm -hmm. he was when he was in TOS. Um, I wanted to just mention that the article that I was reading from was featured on TV guide and mm-hmm. the headline says Star-, Star Trek discovery Spock will be very different from the version that, you know, and then the very first line says, alas, Spock is definitely headed to Star Trek discovery. <laughs> 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 well, here's the thing. Okay. Discovery is supposed to be 10 years before the first episode of TOS. Correct. Yep. Correct. How, how many years are there between the cage and TOS? I don't know. Uh, off the top of my head, it, it felt like Spock served for quite a while on mm-hmm. Enterprise, but I don't know exactly the years, and I don't know when the cage was supposed to take place. Okay, well, we know Pike is in this, mm-hmm. and something I read said Spock is missing. And I was like, again it, what are they gonna do search for spock and but not <laughs> not call it that and the other thing is okay i hate what they did with Sarek, as we have talked about many times mm-hmm. so i'm a little worried about what they're gonna do with spock i think they have done a really good job of with the characters they invented you know, their original mm-hmm. characters. Not so great a job with the mm-hmm. visiting characters we already know. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like they maybe are going to that well too often mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, you've established yourself. Why do you need to do this? And one of the things I thought was a very smart idea for TNG was it was years mm-hmm. before they ever even mentioned you know, old, anything from TOS. Yep. And they took the time to establish, this is the time period we're in now. And this is who we are. These are our adventures. Yeah. And uh, I kind of wish Discovery, 
you know, occasion, of course, you know, it's a prequel, so they can do a little bit of touchstone here and there. But, you know, the running into hairy mud and then Sarah, who I just hate, and the mirror universe and everything. It's like, hmm. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I you know, the new show is about new characters. They have such good new characters mm-hmm. and they have so many new characters. It's not like we're, you know, there's not enough people to write shows about. Right. There's plenty of people that we've just barely gotten to know. And I want to see more stories about them because mm-hmm. I like them and they're cool and it's Star Trek and that's what it should be about. Yeah. So, you know, I had, I was very worried. I was one of the people who was worried with what is Discovery going to be? And we ended up, I think both was greatly enjoying it and finding it very intriguing and giving us a lot of material to think about. So, you know, I want to trust them again mm-hmm. to to hook me again. But I agree. It's kind of like, really? That's what you're <laughs> going to do? So, and, you know, depending on the time frame between this part of Discovery and the events in the cage, how very, very different can Spock be? I, your guess is as good as mine. Unless they're just going to do like flashbacks to her childhood in which there would be a, a young Spock. Yeah, they could do, well, they could do both. Who yeah, knows? they could, they could, so. They could do lots and lots of things at this mm-hmm. point. So you're right. I, I, For now, me too. I will trust the writers that they'll do the right thing and that this isn't going to turn out to be a, a disaster, hopefully. It'll yes. Be, fine. be just fine. One more other just Star Trek adjacent piece of news. We've talked a lot about the Lord of the Rings TV show. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if they're going to do career day in Middle Earth because I haven't heard back about that yet. God, I'm but, so hoping. <laughs> yeah, but in any case, they've hired a couple of Star Trek writers to be writers on the Lord of the Rings TV. So that's an interesting Right, and they're, they're right writers there. from Discovery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hold on a second. I shall tell you. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, they are the writers for the next Star Trek film, not Discovery. Oh, no! Well, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. You know, they're writers. They're not the create. They're not J.J. Abrams. Okay. If he was getting involved, that would be bad. <laughs> we'll see. We'll so, see. Uh, yeah, you know, if they're professional writers, you've got to give them some credit. They probably mm-hmm. know what they're doing. We shall okay, see. Okay, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, and if they do career days, then we'll know that they stole our ideas. So. Well, you know, I was thinking on TNG, they did have Captain Picard Day. <laughs> That's true. Which is kind of like career day. Uh-huh. It is, it is. But yeah, I see. If you're going to do career day, though, it has to be more than one person. You that, have to have people who do lots of different and things. And I want it in Middle Earth. Yes. That is that is my dream. <laughs> it's much, much funnier that way. Uh, okay, good. Look at that. We blew through a whole bunch of stuff really quickly, which is awesome. Um, maybe we should take a little break. I agree. We can come back and talk about, uh, there's some good Bill stuff in here. Yes, there is. And there's yeah. some, some fun giggle-making stuff, too. Yes, that, too. Okay, so we'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, 
to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news. Um, I want to start off with that that little Anthony Bourdain thing. I think it's so cute. <laughs> it's such a funny story. It is. Are we are we recording? Is this the show? Is yes, this, yes. This is our show. Okay. This is the show now. Yes. Now, as uh, as listeners may be aware, Anthony Bourdain passed away within the past couple of weeks, and uh, one of the headlines I happened to see, and when I read the story, I just loved it, was Anthony Bourdain did, in fact, read <laughs> that fan fiction about him doing no reservations in Narnia. <laughs> So apparently, this fanfic called No Reservations, Narnia, a 2010 bit of fiction by writer Idona Hanna, a.k.a. Uh, YA writer Rachel Manija Brown. Mimic- yes. she's, she's actually a very well-known writer. And oh, is she? She's written more than just YA. She's written a lot, and I've read some posts by her. She's a very lovely person. Okay. So she, she is a very skilled writer. This isn't like, you know... Um, some of the stuff that we read on the show where it's a questionable yes. quality. She can really write. Well, it's it said um, she was very good at mimicking the style of the show, asking what would happen if he fell through a magical wardrobe into C.S. Lewis's allegorical paradise, camera crew in tow. Mm-hmm. So apparently it is circled around on the internet for, internet for a long time. And uh, the New Yorker's food correspondent, Helen Rosner wrote a column uh, just recently describing his reaction to the piece when she showed it to him a few months back. And I just love this. Bourdain's response was short, but also perfectly him. Funny, warm, and human. Even as he read about a fictionalized version of himself thumb wrestling with a talking mouse or feeding, feasting with werewolves. Here's the quote from him. This is astonishingly well-written with an attention to detail that's frankly a bit frightening. I'm both flattered and disturbed. I think I need a drink. (laughs) What an amazing thing to say. And I just want to say that if anybody, any cast of any show ever read fan fiction about themselves that's about the best thing you could ever expect them to say the right? best yes the, yes i'm both flattered and disturbed <laughs> <laughs> well you know the, the part i really like is that he does say i'm flattered <laughs> uh-huh, exactly but uh, you know and then, uh, kudos to the writer this is astonishingly well written yes but then fan fiction with an attention to detail that's frankly a bit frightening which is <laughs> Totally the fan fiction reaction, like, yes. whoa. <laughs> yep, I'm both flattered and disturbed. I think I need a drink. I, I love that. I love that, too. Let, let that be the rallying cry of fan fiction. Flattered well, and disturbed, both at the same time. That's something that fanfic writers should strive for. Definitely, definitely. And to be astonishingly well-written as well. Uh, yes, all of those things. Absolutely all of those things. So I have to share a story about myself. At one uh-huh. point when I was still 
uh, writing fanfic, in fact, it was fairly early, I found out that there was a rumor going around that William Shatner himself had read one of my stories <gasps> and wrote me telling me to stop it. Ooh, he's so mean. Well, you know, it didn't happen. But, <laughs> you know, I, I wrote something like, okay, if I ever pissed off Bill to the point where he would get out the angry red crayon <laughs> and, you know, tell me to stop it, I would be so flattered. I mean, <gasps> nothing would propel me onto greater heights. <laughs> But this this is wonderful, and I love I love Bourdain for that, and I love this uh, Helen Rosner for sharing mm-hmm. that. I yeah. think it's a wonderful story, and, and you know, I think it's one of the nicest stories you could tell about somebody after they pass away. It's true. Uh, kudos to him too for having the courage to read it, because you know that you're going to be scared to see what's in there. Oh and yeah, he, it could be horrible. It could be horrible. He went ahead and took the plunge. I'm sure it was, you know, pre-vetted for him so that he knew it. But it is a great story. I love that story. And when I read it, I just laughed. The concept for that is fantastic. I mean, if you're going to do a Narnia story, what a great mashup. You know? Really? <laughs> brilliant. Just um, brilliant. I recently saw something, well, probably on Facebook saying, what a fictional food or what food from a fictional world do you most want to eat? And I thought, mm. I know what Lena's is. <laughs> we've talked about it three or four times. I think you better tell everybody what you want. Um, well, I can think of, oh gosh, now now you're making me think of all these different things. And, and I don't know which one you're thinking of. Oh, the one I'm thinking of is the, the Dinner in Butterbur's Tavern. Oh, that, yeah. So oh that, my God. I mean, that, you could quote that. Is, that. I can quote that because it's so good because it's good plain food, just like hobbits like. Yeah, yes. the, the hot meat and cold soups and, and a fresh raspberry tart. It's just so evocative. You know, that's mm-hmm. one of the things about Tolkien is he's so good at writing about food because he loved food and especially <laughs> hobbit food. And um, yeah, I would totally sit down to a, a meal at Butterbur's with the hobbits. The other thing about eating with the hobbits that I love that he mentions there is that they went at it for 45 minutes straight with no talking because they were hobbits. <laughs> And they were very involved in eating. And I'm like, I can support that. Well, you and I were like that on vacation at, we I think, at least one dinner. The food arrived and we went into what I always call the food trance. You know, it's yes. like just putting food in my mouth, loving it. Do not disturb me or I'll bite you. You know, I know. And it was good because we were doing it together. So we were sharing that moment. You know, it, was, it wasn't like we were we were not talking to each other because it was weird or uncomfortable. It was like we were in our little bubble of enjoying food. That's right. Yes, we weren't angry with each other or anything no, no. like that we were just into the food so okay funny. okay um so here's speaking of fandom and and how fandom can be i found this post uh on a, a tumblr that i read frequently and i just wanted to read it because i never knew this mm-hmm. and i thought it was one of the most creative things that i had ever read so in the before times, before there was Netflix, before there were VHS, VHS tapes, in fact, mm-hmm. here's what TOS fans did. Around 1970, 1971, which would be just after the series ended, mm-hmm. a group of original fans in the L.A. area did what we could to make a record of what happened in each Star Trek episode, because it could easily be a year or more before our local station might run any given episode again. 
Whenever a rerun was shown, we worked as a team taking Polaroid photos of the TV screen at each scene change and writing a quick description of what happens in the scene. These we glued onto poster boards, one for each episode, building up the collection over a couple of years, which was the rate at which we were able to see the episodes in reruns. The poster boards hung in a couple of our garages and were available for any fan to view with an appointment. We would have been so jealous of fans now had we known the day would come when we could see any episode any time we wanted. I still find it somewhat miraculous. Well, I find it some, somewhat miraculous that they did this when you think of the time and effort that went into this. Oh, my God. And, of course, I have a million questions like, do these poster boards still exist? Yes, that that's would the be like question. a... a, a um, a historical record. A historical it's record, or uh, um, oh, what? What's the word? It's not souvenir, but you know, from from this time, something that really sums up yeah. that early fandom. Oh, amazing! I'm just. I was. I read this, and I immediately was thinking about these people, as they said, working as a team. So mm-hmm. they got together, and they were like, "Okay, we got the money. We bought the film. We're going to sit here on who's got the best television, and somebody's going to snap these pictures when the scene change happened. So you had to be quick, right? On right. The and make sure that you weren't getting flash off the the glass, mm-hmm. right? TV's glass at that point. And then the other person making notes really quickly, and then somebody had to organize the poster board and construct this coherent narrative for it. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, now, I can't think who it was, but, you know, it was somebody I knew through fandom told me that they, when it was only on in syndication, and, you know, there weren't VCRs or anything like that, made a um, tape recording of every episode. So they had... A lot of people did that, They had all the dialogue Mm -hmm. and sound, but, you know, none of the video, yeah, I, that was the only way that you could do it. I, yeah. I did that for a couple of episodes. Did just you? Cause, wow. Yeah, because it it was the only way, and at least you could listen to it and sort of mm-hmm. you know, like a radio play, right? You could yes. you knew what happened, so you could listen. But I I know there were people who recorded all of it so that they had every episode recorded on some type of audio tape, and then you know you could sit around in a group with your friends and just kind of enjoy the whole thing and the music and all of that. Yep. Well, I love that story, and I'm so glad you found it. And I have to point out, the name of this Tumblr, I guess, is Lady, That's My Skull. (laughs) Yes. But what I love about it is its picture at the top is from the Haley Mills Parent Trap movie. Yes. The guy who runs that blog is really into Haley Mills. Well, you see, when I was a kid, um, Haley Mills was like almost my age, just maybe two years older or something. Oh my God, I was totally into her. I just, I loved her movies. I loved her. And I don't know how many times we saw this, but my sister and I learned that song that the two, that the twins do together. Let's get together. (laughs) Yay, yay, yay. And uh, we even did it at a talent show. Oh, I mean, it's, it's huge for, for us. So I love that picture that's up there. Did you win at the talent show? I'm sure we did not. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, I have a friend now in in my cabaret world who did a show of the Sherman Brothers songs. You know, they wrote Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mary Poppins and like all the Disney stuff, um, Mowgli and Baloo, whatever Mm -hmm. that's called, Jungle Book, all of those. Well, they wrote that song. Mm -hmm. Well, um, 
she didn't do it in the show, but I told her this story and uh, we were at an open mic. I said, let's do it. And she said, oh, you know, I don't have the the music next time. So sometime my friend Jennifer and I are going to sing Let's Get Together (laughs) at an open mic. That's very funny. The guy who runs the blog, he really, really likes Haley Mills, but he also really, really likes Land of the Lost. Those are his two passions. Oh, remember you had to explain Land yes. of the Lost to me when yes, we were at exactly. the convention and the guy behind us went, he knew what you were talking I know, about. I know. So it's a good blog to follow. He's always posting mm. funny stuff and Star Trek stuff too. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Just, I was like, that's so cool. Well, you know, bravo. Anything Haley Mills or Annette. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my childhood. Hey, let's talk about William Shatner because we, okay. like, we like Bill. Um, Bill was at the Star Trek thing, and I, I just saw pictures today that he took with the person who won that Omaze contest that we entered and didn't win. Right. And um, it, she seemed like a very nice person who won, and he mm-hmm. said, yes, I spent all day with her, and I thought... That must have been amazing. And I really hope she writes a blog or something so we can hear from yes, her side what it yes. was like to spend the day with Bill at a Star Trek convention. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No, I can't, actually. <laughs> I think it would have been beyond the imagination to spend a whole day with him at a Star Trek convention. Yes. Anyway, Bill got an award, another award. It's not an Emmy, though. It's an award that probably means more to him than an Emmy, I would I think say. it might, yes. He, he received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Reigning Horse Association. So that's for his, his work with reigning horses, something that he has a huge passion for and does all the time. And now he's getting this Lifetime Achievement Award, which is wonderful for him. And we will post the link to the article, but if you read this... You you definitely, if you were not aware of it, I mean, you might know, yeah, Bill does this and he does the Hollywood Horse Show. You might not be aware, but you will learn how big a part of his life mm-hmm. this has been and how much he has done to for reigning, to, to make people more aware of it. Mm-hmm. And you see that they are not giving him this award because, well, he's the most famous person in reigning who's known outside of reigning. So let's, you know, get some attention by, no, this is really what he has done and what he has achieved. And, you know, he has won so many championships mm-hmm. in that. So I, I just think, uh, well, here's the, here's the last thing. The uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award is named after the mm-hmm. legendary reigning horse trainer known as the father of reigning, Dale Wilkinson, mm-hmm. the first inductee into the NRHA Hall of Fame. Wilkinson is a multiple NRHA Futurity Champion and one of the founding members of National Reigning Horse Association. So this is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And I was going to actually read the next sentence um, about Dale Wilkinson. It says, in addition, during his lifetime, Dale Wilkinson, he was an educator, promoter, and mentor to all reigners, professional and non-pro, exemplifying how a rider should conduct themselves, train, and exhibit a horse. Mm -hmm. That's what the award is for, people who are like that. So, yeah, like you were just saying, it's not because Bill's famous or rich or has given them money. It's because that's what he's done. He's been an educator. He's been a promoter. He's been a mentor. He exemplifies how riders should conduct themselves and train Mm -hmm. their horses, which is what he is really and truly passionate about. Right. And of course, it mentions how he has uh, 
managed to tie his passion for horses and for reining specifically to charity mm-hmm. and all that he does. There's more than just the uh, the Hollywood Horse Show going on, although that's the most uh, well-known. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it says not only has he raised thousands of dollars for various charities, he has introduced reining to mm-hmm. other celebrities as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I say, good for you, Bill. You are, I mean, he is amazingly competitive, high achiever and everything. But I think this, this, like you said, probably means as much, if not more than an Emmy. Mm-hmm. And, I, um, I, and then, then many of his achievements, not mm-hmm. just in the field of acting, but you know, all the things he does, he travels around the world, does all kinds of stuff. I think this is a real, like, uh, cherry on top of the sundae for him yeah it's yeah it's something he works at something he's proud of something uh, you know in the in the book that I talked about a while ago the spirit of the horse book you know he talked yes. about how working with horses has been an education for him but it's also mm-hmm. been something he's worked at all his life since he started to do it and yet he still feels like there's so much more for him to learn mm-hmm. it's something that he wants to continue to to get better at at you know, in a way, I almost feel like acting for him is so natural. I know he works at acting, but he's so yes. skilled now. It's it's he knows what he's doing. He knows what he, he's doing. He, you know, it's not like oh God, I gotta really work to 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 do this thing I've never had to do before or whatever. He knows it. Yeah, this is something else, and yeah. I, that's what I was trying to say. And you you just did it beautifully. Thank mm. you. You're very welcome. And yes, I agree with you. So uh, the award hasn't been given yet. I think they'll be doing it in a little while. I hope there's some press coverage of it and we'll get to see what, what Bill says in his well, acceptance. Well, I hope so too. Yeah. So it's it does, uh, um, and November 28th, I guess, is when they do this. Yeah. So it, In it, Oklahoma it, City. Yeah. So there's some time, but yeah. very, very happy for him. Yeah. In other Bill news, just to mention this, um, because your comment, I, I think, when you posted it to our uh, Facebook group was very funny, that the people who are producing the new Halloween movie series, mm-hmm. they would like Bill to make an appearance because of his ties via the mask that they have for Michael Myers, which is yes. in, in Bill's face. And so they're very keen to get him in there and have him do a little cameo appearance. And I... You know, he maybe he'll do it. Maybe he won't. Uh, they mm-hmm. they reprinted the little story that Bill had told about wearing that mask when he went right. treating with his kids. And of course, he has to end it by saying, "Then I got more candy than they did." <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's competitive, he's competitive with, his, with his own children <laughs> on Halloween. Jeez! <laughs> Look, I got more candy, and I'm not sharing it with any of you. No trades. No trades. <laughs> So, you know, who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Could happen. Whatever. We shall see. Now, this last thing, I really wanted to spend a little time on this because I thought it was great. And it's in Screen Rant, and it's called Star Trek 20 Crazy Fan Theories About TNG That Make Too Much Sense. And I got to say, as I read through this, A, I didn't think they were crazy at all. They just seemed very (laughs) commonsensical to me. And And I'd heard a lot of them. And I think a number of them have become fanon. Well, that too. And some of them may be even canon at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so let's let's go through these because this is this is interesting and fun and yes. And now some of these I know a lot about, and some of them I don't know very much. So um, we can 
see as we go. So it's starting from number 20 to number one. And the okay. very first one, I actually thought maybe it was canon already, which is that Trelane from the original series is part of the Q continuum. And somewhere mm-hmm. in my brain, I thought that it was in one of the novelizations, which, you know, are they canon? I don't know. They're approved by Paramount. It, that said it, he was. So There's, there was, um, okay. It's coming back to me. A Star Trek book called Q squared. Okay. And I believe it's Q and Trelane. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I think I read it. Okay. Well, that, I don't so, remember anything about it, but. So whether that's canon or not, I don't know, but it's certainly not a crazy fan theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's it there. It's it's in a published book. Right. And the the whole idea that he is that uh Trelane is a very, very young member of it in that he has to have that mirror or whatever the machinery is mm-hmm. to help him do this. Yeah. A grown up Q member of the continuum does not need that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Not a crazy fan theory. And neither is the next one, which is no. that um, it was the Borg who upgraded V'ger in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Again, I thought I read that somewhere. Like, <laughs> well, that one of the scriptwriters or somebody said, yeah, that's pretty much what we thought. Like, later, of course, after the Borg came in, like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. It was probably them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm down with that. Um, the next one says slightly differently that. V'ger actually created the Borg. So V'ger was not a Borg creation, but it was some mm-hmm. other alien species. And then as a byproduct of what it was doing, it actually created the Borg. I could buy that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the next one, again, I thought this was... Anyway... Yeah, uh, yeah, same thing here. (laughs) The original humanoid race was first referred to in the original series. So there's that Star Trek episode where they, I mean, sorry, Next Generation episode where uh, Picard and them figure out that all humanoid life has been seeded from one original species and that we're Mm -hmm. all related in some way. And so fans recall that in the paradise syndrome kirk suffers amnesia on a paradise-like planet i am mm-hmm. kirok um, with beings just like humans um that there was an ancient race called the preservers who rescued endangered humanoids and transplanted them onto other worlds for their survival many theorize that the preservers and the original humanoids are the same well and mccoy even makes reference to it in the episode yeah he says something like yeah i always wondered why we were meeting everybody who looked just like us or something, you know, yeah. something to that so, extent. So Okay. Uh, next one, Tom Paris from Voyager is actually Nick Lacarno. And I have heard this since he started playing Tom Paris. That- See, I, I, you know, what What did I watch? Half an episode of Voyager. <laughs> so when I read this one, I was going, well, who, you know, okay, I know who Tom Paris is, but who's Nick Lacarno? I had yeah. to, you know, read that because I don't know my TNG in great detail. And I was going... Well, okay, but I had never encountered that, but I was never deeply in either one of those uh, series. Yeah, well, it's played by the same actor, and Mm -hmm. I I think... That's the part that got me. I went, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I think... uh, What's his name? I can't remember the guy's name, the actor. Uh, Dumb Tom. Dumb Tom. That's not his name. Well, I don't know his name. Robert something something. He's got a three three word three name name. Um, they don't name him in this article. 
Lacarnacle. I know. It I just like, says, it just the, says actor the actor who plays, plays Lacarnacle. Thanks ever so much. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I think he said this at cons or something when people uh-huh. have asked him. He, this is his ready-made question. His answer is like, yes, it's the same guy. And Starfleet uh, made Nick Lacarno change his name and assume a new identity. Like he was in the witness protection program, <laughs> which is very funny. So Okay. Know. Yeah, I like that. Okay, uh, this one I hadn't heard. The Borg send one vessel at a time because they are using different species. I hadn't heard this one, and I read it, and I don't think I even quite understood it. Yeah, it it says, um, why don't they send more than one ship and just take over the whole galaxy? It says, if they take over everything at once, they will exhaust the new technological breakthroughs as different races develop. It seems like the Borg cannot innovate on their own unless they literally absorb other beings and machines. It would be the equivalent of a livestock farmer cutting down all of their cows at once, preventing any new ones from being born. Well, but if the Borg are so superior, they can destroy everybody everybody they're they're destroying is inferior right to yeah. the borg yeah so what have they got i i don't know and <laughs> i don't know either and also if they did end up taking over the entire galaxy they wouldn't just stagnate because they just go to a different galaxy there are yeah. other galaxies so yeah okay anyway. well whatever whatever uh the next one's boring the opening credits of next <laughs> it, Gen- is. it is the it opening, totally is the opening credits of next generation is a depiction of how solar systems evolve over time fine okay great <laughs> um this one i think i feel like we might have talked about this um star trek 5 actually takes place entirely within the nexus Okay, you know what I think? Yeah? I think this one is total bullshit. (laughs) Because it says, the theory goes that before he meets Picard, Kirk lives out a fantasy of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, where he goes rock climbing and camping with his best friends, flies his sparkling new enterprise to the center of the galaxy, and destroys a supreme being pretending to be God. His adventure culminates with roasting marshmallows with Spock and McCoy. Doesn't this sound like an idyllic utopian fantasy for Kirk? (laughs) No, it doesn't. And that has been the objection of many people to Star Trek V was that it was Shatner playing out his fantasies. Yeah. Yep. Not Kirk. Shatner. Yeah. So. next one. Um, unless you have more to say about that one. No, that was it's it. Bullshit. I just had to say it's bullshit. And okay, it's bullshit. Um, number 12, Picard doesn't make it out of the Nexus either. I don't see any evidence for that. Well, uh, I did. You know, it's all about the movies that come after that. I'm going, I remember the one uh, first contact, and I don't remember any of them after that. So maybe, yeah, maybe not. They're boring. Um, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's boring. Um the show Hell on Wheels is actually a holodeck fantasy. I don't even know what that means. Do well, you know yeah, that? I don't know what that show is. Okay. I I mean, it was an episode, I guess, of TNG. I don't. Or was know. O- O'Brien in um? What's the one with the Deep Space Nine? Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Was that it? Was he in that? I. Oh, I get it. Sorry, I should have googled this before. Okay. Here, here, this is good. This is good radio. Um, <laughs> there's a show on AMC because you know AMC also does their own original programming now, and it's called Hell on Wheels. 
and, and it stars Colmini as a guy named Thomas Dr. Ant. That's what Colmini is doing these days. He's starring oh. in uh, a thing about railroad times, uh, the Union oh, Pacific. So okay. that's what they're talking about. See, I didn't know that at all. No. I have to tell you, though, there is a fanfic writer whose name I cannot remember, which is sad because I had a lot of contact with him. But he, his whole thing was tying other TV shows altogether. <laughs> and some of the stuff he wrote was so ingenious and some of it was so funny. And the funniest thing I can remember it because I laughed so hard was he was doing the Bob Newhart show. Oh my God. The one where he's a psychologist in Chicago. Uh-huh. And um, Dr. Hartley was on the phone counseling Captain Kirk. <laughs> and the line, I think I'll be remembering this on my deathbed was, well, if she tried to steal your body, she's not really your friend, is she? <laughs> I just love that. Oh, Bob would totally say that. He would. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Um, so as for this theory, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> okay. Number 10. We're getting there. Sarek's past overuse of his telepathic abilities causes his mental breakdown well actually it should be the writer's past abuse or overuse but anyway okay so this is tying it to discovery and it's saying (laughs) that he's been using his telepathic abilities you know across the galaxy to talk to burnham and i think this is bullshit because they explained it that bendai syndrome was a real thing it wasn't caused by overuse of abilities it was like a genetic disease that you have yes yes. so bullshit that's not right right whatever the next one doesn't even count Um, right it's like who cares yeah the next generation culture is much more peaceful than the original series sure but not really because there was plenty of violence and conflict happening Mm -hmm. i mean the borg so that's not true um the next one i thought was very interesting Mm -hmm. the borg held on to a copy of picard because they had all his dna and everything else that they could make a clone of him if they wanted to sure well i i think that makes perfect sense and they probably have made clones of you know every one of their little borglings that got destroyed sure. yeah you know they've got the technology they've got all the data they need mm-hmm. i agree so sure that's possible the next one i don't really understand um wharf is actually Collis the unforgettable but he forgot but he forgot <laughs> I, so Collis was you know the leader of the klingon empire and it, there was an episode of um Deep Space Nine, wasn't it? I guess it, maybe it was TNG. The, the Klingons clone Collis and install him as Emperor. Oh, there was a DS9 episode where he met Collis and other stuff happened. Oh, okay. So, I mean, no, he's not. <laughs> I think you can just say no, he's not. Okay. Um, Dr. Noonien Sung was trying to build immortal bodies so people could live forever. Uh, so this is saying that um, Sung's intention with data and lore was actually to transfer like a human consciousness into their bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. he made them look like himself. Yeah. So, yeah, that doesn't seem too crazy. That's um, not a real stretch at all. Yeah. 
the next one that makes it makes me laugh um the, Ferengi, <laughs> the Ferengi were pretending to be weird at first to confuse the Federation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the, let's retcon the fact that the writers didn't know what they were doing when they first uh, had the what, Ferengi No, that's more on. like, hey, kids, let's go downtown and goof on people. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, okay. Uh, here's one that apparently isn't actually a wild fan theory. It's canon. So why is it in here? It says bluegill parasites from the first season are related to the trill. I have no idea what that means. Okay. So in the first season of TNG, Picard and Riker find out that there's a conspiracy of uh, Starfleet officers who are possessed by malevolent parasites. And that's, it ends with them hitting one of the, the Starfleet officers who's been possessed with phaser fire and then his head explodes. Oh, neat. Which okay. is very gory and disgusting. And everybody was like, ew. Uh, so they were possessed by this parasite and fans speculated that the parasite was related to the symbiont race known as the Trill. This was later, it says here, this was later confirmed to be canon, and it was explained that the bluegill race was a failed genetic experiment intended to combat a specific trill disease. So it wasn't really a crazy fan theory. It was actually just canon. Okay. The next one, again, a crazy fan theory. Lore is meant to be the opposite of data. Duh. (laughs) That's why they invented him? (laughs) Okay. Number two, the Q continuum are actually descendants of humanity. Now, that's interesting. I had never heard this. I had never thought of it. I never thought of it either. I don't believe it. Mm. I like the first paragraph, though. There's a fan joke in message board circles that says Q is so omnipotent that he's the only one that knows it's only a TV show. (laughs) I like that. That's really funny. So the theory is that it's the Q are actually descendants, but from the future, you know, mm-hmm. that that's what we eventually evolved into. And the evidence is that it explains why he just doesn't destroy Picard and the crew. He wants to see how they evolve. And, you know, I don't know, maybe, I guess. I think it's more interesting to think that they're just a separate species and that well, we don't really understand their motivations or why Q does the things he does. And we were constantly running into these races that you know, were pure energy, and um, there was the Argonians, if that's what they're called, and there were the ones in Arena, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, you have demonstrated the high quality of mercy, you know, and everything. So I always thought the Q was just another one of those races. Yeah, me too, because there are plenty of species out there in the Mm -hmm. galaxy that we haven't met yet. So, geez, we're not going to understand them all, and they're not going to be what we expect. I love the first one. <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. Just the description. I'm going to read it. Please. Starfleet changes its uniforms to let time travelers <laughs> know what era they are visiting. Uh-huh. Sure. That makes yeah. sense. That's a good because reason to change ev- it. First of all, every time traveler is going to run into a Starfleet officer. Yep. Number one. And they have, they all know this. So one of your training as time traveler, one of your training things is you got to memorize all the different uniforms and Mm -hmm. what that means. That's right. Right. This completely ignores the fact that if there were time travelers, they'd probably have a way of telling where they were going. Mm -hmm. Um, And also that it might be easier just to ask when you, yes, (laughs) excuse me, what year is this? Right. 
or, you know, do the 23rd, 25th century version of look at a newspaper. Look at a newspaper. Yeah. Or something, you know, just to just to figure it out. Yeah. And also, you know, if you're talking about maybe Time Lords, they don't have to be told. They know. They know. Right. Right. Because that's part of their thing. And um, I think the time police, our favorite time cop, <laughs> would have shut down that idea on day one because it'll make time travel that much easier. I mean, one of the dangers is getting there and doing something stupid because you don't know they don't know about this in that time. That's correct. And they would have said, nope, nope, no way. That's not happening. No, no. We're not going to make it easy. No. So I feel like this list, as good as it was, um, the writer came up with like 12 ideas and Mm -hmm. the editor said, no, it needs to be 20. Go find some more stuff. And he was like, oh, shit. Now I got to make up some more things. Yeah, that's how uh, the bluegill parasites and lore and, you know, those things ended up on there. But that's pretty funny. (laughs) It's a good article. You should go read it and let us know what you think about these crazy fan theories. (laughs) They're not. They're not crazy fan theories. They're not actually that crazy. And some of them are interesting and as we said some of them were became canon or were canon Mm -hmm. or at least worked their way into what we think were the novelizations so that's correct Mm -hmm. well that's our list but i have a question to ask you before we get off the phone um okay phone no not phone before we stop recording this podcast what the hell yes yes Uh, so Bill is continuing to tour with Wrath of Khan. They keep announcing new dates, and one of them was near you, and you said, it's expensive. And I was just curious, how expensive is it? Oh, okay, because, um, you know, I went to it going, well, you know, I could go out to Rosemont. I could get a ticket and everything. And there was even a um, a discount code for fan club members, oh. and, which big deal. It was $5 off. Well, it's like seventy-five dollars. <gasps> really? Oh, I plus didn't think it was you know much. my transportation yeah. to Rosemont and back, and it's a work night. Yeah. And I'm going, you know, I I really I would love to to see Bill and and everything, but I don't I don't feel like paying that kind of money to sit through Wrath of Khan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I sit through like I wouldn't enjoy it or anything, but it's just. That seems pretty pricey to me. Mm-hmm. I agree. I didn't realize it was that much. I was thinking maybe it was more like 25 or 30 bucks, but 75 bucks is a lot of money. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thanks. Thank you for letting me know. Um, I mean, it, if it was going to be at one of the downtown Chicago theaters, mm-hmm. I would go. You know, if it was a little more convenient, I would bite the bullet on the price. But yeah. He has not announced any dates near me, so I don't know okay. if I will get to see it. Strangely, because they could do it in one of the many large movie houses in San Francisco, and it would be mm-hmm. packed. There would be so many people there. Right. So, right. <sighs> well, gosh, that was a lot of stuff. We've gotten through it, so we should be justifiably Yay! proud of ourselves. Yeah, so that's going to do it for this episode. And listeners, please check out our Facebook page. Send us email. Let us know what's going on in the Trek world that you've observed. And let us mm-hmm. know your thoughts on any of the many things that we've now talked about in this episode. Right, and send us news. You know, yes, we, please. we do our best to, you know, at least hit the highlights, but we can't be everywhere, especially when we're on vacation. It's true. We rely on you for those things. We do. So, as always, we love you guys. Thank you for listening and supporting the show. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of Look at His Butt.
Yay! Till then, live long and potluck. Potluck. <laughs> <laughs>